Somewhere in Tibet, the venerable Ancient One lies sick and helpless, as his daring disciple, Doctor Strange, begins a desperate search for the meaning of ETERNITY! ETERNITY! The single word which the Ancient One has whispered over and over again in his delirium, but even as Doctor Strange searches, the evil menace of Baron Mordo is ever-present. My name is Conrad, and welcome to the third episode of Stranger by the Dozen, a weekly podcast where we'll recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, 12 issues at a time. This week, I'm joined by my friend Drew, who's helping out with the recaps. Hi, Drew. Hey, Conrad. All right. Before we start, uh, would you like to talk about how you became a fan of Doctor Strange and what you like about the character? Uh, sure. I I've been reading comics for as long as I can remember, but I really got back into it once the Marvel movies started back up, way back with Iron Man. Uh, were we ever so young? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, at that point, I started getting back into things, and I came across a small little Netflix movie by the name of Doctor Strange. And then from there, I just kind of started digging back into it, and once Marvel Unlimited came about, I really started digging back into that back collection. <laughs> oh, so that was the uh, cartoon movie from like 2007? Yeah, that thing is awesome. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, I like that. They got like the magic swords and stuff. It's solid. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a definitely a good introduction to Doctor Strange as a character. Yeah, and I think we'll see parts of what inspire like how those spirit weapons work in our in the big uh, pro wrestling match between uh, Strange and Dormammu this week. <laughs> Oh, yeah, totally. Cool. Are there any, like, particular storylines or, like, you know, sagas or whatever that you think are, like, really good for Doctor Strange? I particularly like the, I want to say, 2010 run of Strange, where Doctor Strange is actually operating not as the Sorcerer Supreme. Mm -hmm. I, I really like the first issue where he's actually, you know, taking care of a whole bunch of demons in a baseball field. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent episode. I, I can't wait to get, you know, the Silver Age stuff is important for laying the baseline and stuff, but I'm really excited to get the newer stuff for the podcast, even though, like, I think that's, like, episode, like, 90. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's, it's a ways away. But it's going to be good. Yeah. All right, yeah. Thanks, Drew. So let me quickly recap what we've been going over the last two weeks, all right? So Stephen Strange was an arrogant and rich surgeon until a car accident cost him the use of his hands. Seeking a cure, Strange found his way to the Temple of the Ancient One, either in Tibet or the Tibet-adjacent Himalayas. They sort of switch around in the narration boxes. Eventually, Strange began studying magic under the Ancient One, and after a few years became a master of the mystic arts. That's where we are now. Other characters include Strange's master, the Ancient One, and Clea, a beautiful, if oddly haired woman from another dimension. Reoccurring villains are uh, Baron Mordo, Strange's former co-pupil under the Ancient One, and a general evil wizard, and Dormammu, flame-headed master of the Dark Dimension, which is where Clea lives as well. Mordo has recently made a deal with Dormammu to give Mordo incredible magic power. He's injured the Ancient One, who is now in a coma, and has sent Doctor Strange on the run. After escaping near death in a duel with Mordo, Doctor Strange returns from New York. And now we go to Strange Tales number 134 from July 1965. Oh, yes. Uh, with the quote on the cover being, of course, Doctor Strange is in this ish too, but we couldn't find any place to put him on the cover. Yeah, they could find it, a place. Yeah, they could. <laughs> But seeing as it, they featured this awesome battle between uh, the Human Torch and the Thing, uh, fighting yeah. in medieval times. Yeah, they go they go back and, like, the Watcher stays, takes them to send them back in time to fight Kang the Conqueror. It's yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely nuts. So, yeah, th this tale uh, with the, the Thing and uh, the Human Torch starts out with them working on something. I'm not sure, exactly sure what yeah. it is. <laughs> something like the Framistat? When uh, the Watcher himself suddenly appears and startles both the Thing and the Human Torch. Right. Uh, 
letting them know that uh, Kang the Conqueror has gone back in time to <laughs> to take out Merlin and change history. Yeah, and so they go back, and there's a lot of like medieval fighting. We see Kang take over Camelot. Yeah, I think like they shoot the human torch out of a canop- catapult. Yeah, the thing actually has Johnny Storm hop in that catapult, which is filled with like burning oil. I want to say. Yeah, and then launches him at uh, Kang the Conqueror's castle, <laughs> which is a solid maneuver. That doesn't but, even work, man. I, I know it doesn't, the human, but it's the human torch won't break a wall he's a dude uh, whatever all right <laughs> anyway on to the uh, issue of uh, dr strange earth be my battlegrounds at long last after an occult journey the, through nameless dimensions weary and sick at heart dr strange returns to his native world realizing the time has come to face the evil baron mordo once more written by marvel's own living legend stan lee illustrated by marvel's own unsung genius steve ditko and lettered by marvel's own beaming pixie Artie Semek. And so we, here we see that Doctor Strange has once again returned to the plane of Earth and retrieves his uh, Earth clothes to, you know, not stick out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. And then goes and, and visits his master who finds that he is in a coma weakened from uh, his uh, illness. Mm-hmm. He then uses a, his enchanted amulet to bathe his master and to give him strength to recover. Powers him up. He then begins a search all around Earth looking for any reference to the words eternity, which the Ancient One has been muttering. Yeah. It's weird because at once you'd think eternity would actually be pretty... Like, it's a pretty common word as yeah. words go. But I guess this is like the big E eternity because it's got the, the reverb that I'm putting in post. <laughs> <laughs> You can sort of figure that out as he explains it to people. Like, eternity? Like, no, eternity! Yes. And so we see Doctor Strange in his uh, astral form traveling the Earth, being pursued by Mordo's agents. And we also see the girl in the altered dimension. Yeah, I've I've spoiled that her name is Clea, because I think it's it's ridiculous. We met Clea in, like, last episode of the podcast. We won't learn her name until the next episode of the podcast. It's crazy. Well, all right. Well, we see that Clea is actually uh, working on behalf of Doctor Strange to be, to distract Droid Dor- Dormammu yeah. by releasing the the mindless ones. Yeah, that's the main thing you do to beat Dormammu is you release the mindless ones. It's the only thing that can like vi- yeah, he can barely beat. Which provides for a a solid bit of distraction for a while to allow Doctor Strange to escape into the sun. The sun's full of like child diagrams of like atoms, which was su- surprising to me somehow. Which provides him like you know adequate cover to escape from Mordo. Yeah, man, Mordo doesn't want to mess around with the sun. He knows his <laughs> limits. It's hot in there. <laughs> but we see at the end of the issue that Dormammu has once again confined the mindless ones. And of course, we see that uh, Clea is now worried that her scheme may have outed her as protecting the good doctor. I want to also note that when Dormammu goes to rest from imprisoning the mindless ones again, he sits down in his in, in a big chair in the middle of his enchanted triangle. <laughs> so good. Which is pretty funny, because like, I wonder if he gets more power from different enchanted shapes or something like that. You know? I, I, I wonder what happens when he sits in a hexagon. Oh my god. That's when, he, that's when he wins the fight against Eternity, I think. <laughs> All right, so let's go to Strange Tales number 135 from August 1965. Ah, uh, yes. The, the first and appearance of Nick Fury. I'm so excited, Drew, man. It's Nick Fury time! Finally <laughs> at last! Finally! I haven't read a ton of these stories, so I'm, like, super excited to check out 
these Nick Fury stories. When I first read all these early, you know, I've read all these early Doctor Strange stories until about 1980 or something like that. But I read them all in the Marvel Essential books, which mm-hmm. kind of just have the cover and then the actual Doctor Strange story. So I've seen 40 issues of insane Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. covers, and I'm really stoked to actually check them out. So for the record, this is uh, the white Nick Fury, the one that David Hasselhoff played in the movie, instead of Ultimate Nick Fury, which is which- both based on and portrayed by Samuel Jackson. Which is the best cast musician they could have chosen for that character, really. I mean, uh, honestly, if you, in like the Ultimates comic book, the all the Ultimates, like the Ultimate Universe Avengers, talk about who'd played them in the movie. Oh, and God. Fury literally says that Sam, Sam Jackson should play him in the movie. It's uh, pretty funny. It's a fantastic bit of dialogue, and I want to say that like that was the driving force between Samuel Jackson actually playing Nick Fury. I think they definitely were like, well, okay, you don't have to worry about casting that role, I guess. Self-fulfilling prophecy and whatnot. Yeah. So I want to say that this isn't actually the first appearance of Nick Fury, right? Because at this point, Nick Fury was currently also starring in Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos, which is a World right. War II comic. Right. Well, I, I guess this is uh, Nick Fury's first in- induction into S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, exactly. So he's been, he's sort of like 20 20 years later or whatever from World War II. He's grown up. He's become a colonel. He's got a sweet eye patch. And this is basically a ripoff of the TV show A Man from Uncle. They literally say that and you can sort of see it referenced in the abbreviation part of the word SHIELD. Right. So just so everyone knows, at this point, SHIELD stands for Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. Certainly nowhere near as elegant as it as the current definition is today. Oh, uh, Strategic Homeland Intervention of for- Enforcement. Enforcement and Logistics Division? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the old one, it's uh, the L is Law Enforcement, and that's like a load-bearing hyphen, so that doesn't become like shield or something like that. Also, just for the record, the 80s, I think, it would become Strategic Hazard Intervention Espionage Logistics Directorate. I love what SHIELD stands for, man. I just love the word salad behind it. It's so good. There's probably no better example of, well, we've got a word. Let's figure out what it can stand what it can stand for <laughs> but so all these stories are based on super gadgets right we get yeah. life model decoys which are which are robots that are basically bait for assassins there's a bright yellow porsche that's napalm proof has surface to air missiles and can fly and the america of shield is really so different because it's just nick fury and the guy who's introducing him to shield just driving down the street and it's, oh my god, enemy aircraft, they're dropping bombs on us. It was definitely a crazier time back then. It's action-packed, you know? And, and the terrorist jets are, of course, uh, from Hydra, the Cobra to Shields G.I. Joe. They wear super baggy green uh, green clothes, big yellow H's, and are led by Imperial Hydra, this dude with like a, he's got a cigarette extender and pet mini, mini panther. And the craziest method ever for punishing his underlings. The yeah, craziest. Yeah, What what is it? he like puts them in like these like big metal swings and have them like joust each other giant that doesn't have weapons giant h-shaped pendulums it's crazy it's good doing the my favorite way to establish someone's an evil guy though which is to kill your own guys you know oh yeah absolutely you know that guy's a bad guy and not not you know killing them yourself but making your underlings kill each other yeah absolutely on giant pendulums yeah shaped like h's how do you look 
branding is like a key part of Hydra. I'm surprised we don't see it on the big uh, Hydra organization wheel we'll see in later issues. <laughs> the, the branding division. Oh man, that's so good, but we'll get to that yeah. eventually. Okay. So anyhow, with some help from Tony Stark, who, uh, who guest stars also in this issue. Because of uh, course Tony Stark's behind all this technology. Totally. Uh, Fury becomes the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. They have a big helicopter. And, you know, we've spent a lot actually on the side story for this issue, but I'm excited yeah. about S.H.I.E.L.D., man. I'm like Ugh. stoked about it. Just wait till we get later on in this podcast. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Skateboard you today. Oh, so good. Anyway, Eternity Beckons, written and edited by Marvel's mystical madman, Stan Lee. Plotted and illustrated by, by fandom's favorite fiend, Steve Ditko. Lettered and bordered by Connectum's Cuddlesome Conjurer, Sam Rosen. Uh, so these credits are starting to reflect what's referred to as the Marvel Method, where the artist is doing the majority of the writing and the plotting for each issue, and then Stan Lee kind of comes in to do some specific dialogue and punch things up. So that's why these credits change a little bit from just written and drawn or something like that. Right. Just, you know, it's interesting to me how these comics go. <laughs> but so Doctor Strange makes his way to London in the search for eternity upon arriving he's met by one of mordo's goons and he puts a mind whammy on him and then he goes to the castle of sir baskerville another mystic as strange is doing this dormammu checks his dark dimension security tapes and he sees clea putting up the device that freed the mindless ones in the last issue then meanwhile to that we learn that baskerville is going to sell strange out to mordo and things look pretty bad until strange puts the cloak of levitation into a suit of armor that you know or just lying around this English castle. Of course there's a suit of armor just laying around English castles. Come on. I've seen it in every, in every movie it's ever, I've ever seen. <laughs> but so the armor wrecks up the place, and then Strange mind whammies a few more of Mordo's goons, including Baskerville. There's a lot of mind whammying in this episode. And, and it turns out Baskerville was lying about knowing anything about eternity. So Doctor Strange runs off to learn info elsewhere. All right. For Strange Tales number 136, we see it. At the beginning of the issue, we see a plot for Hydra to hunt down and kill Nick Fury. And they're they're not really being all that subtle. Like, they keep on saying, Hail Hydra. I mean, that's really noticeable. Into their special comm quarters or whatever. Like, into, into their quarters that are also comm-link. It's crazy. And, and, of course, we also see, you know, it, it's actually kind of a mainstay of modern-day, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. using barbershops as fronts for your headquarters entrance. It, it's definitely a, a trope that, you know, is even current to today. But, you know, just without the mild racism of having the dude being the Shushan guy. Shushan guy who keeps talking about his union at the start, which made me feel like it was some reference to something like from 1965 yeah like a shoe shiners union because there's also like a lady that does manicures and he and Vir hands her his hat the shoe shine dude is hey checking hats is my job wait till the union hears about this what anyway nick fury being the uh, paranoid son of a gun that he is determines that you know there's hydra agents everywhere with with a bit of chicanery just manages to trap them and then hypnotize them into thinking that they managed to kill him yeah the hypno gun yeah of course only to fall in a trap set by shield crazy elaborate trap with multiple rooms and electrification and and goo and whirlwinds and false they're like, windows they're seriously just like messing with them like halfway through it's a lot of oh we're trapped in this box oh no there's a second box around us with a cityscape painted on it so we think we're about to escape it's crazy stuff 
And then, of course, we also see the death of yet another mid-manager in Hydra. Absolutely. As they want to do. Whenever there's a new guy gets promoted in Hydra, everybody does this dance. All the goons in, the, in one room kind of stand behind each other and then hold their arms out in different directions to make cool, like, arms sim- Like, it looks like one guy's got, like, 20 arms. And it's neat, but it also, like, has got to take a lot of uh, coordination. You go straight up. You go, like, diagonal. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Let's take a lot of coordination. Yeah. Anyway... On to the Doctor Strange story of this issue. Please. What lurks beneath the mask? See, this series is voted most likely to succeed by Stan Lee and Barramorto. Well, that's nice of Morto. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> edited and written by mystical magical Stan Lee, plotted and illustrated by weird, wondrous Steve Ditka, and lettered and bordered by lovable, laughable Artie Semek. Follow the world's uh, strangest hero as he continues to search for the deadly secret locked within the word ETERNITY! And so we see that uh, Dormammu has finally caught on to Clea's subterfuge and has uh, trapped her, only to prevent her from, you know, interfering with uh, his search for Doctor Strange. And of course, he reaches out to the various mystics throughout the world to uh, continue hunting down Doctor Strange, even as he continues his search for the mystery behind the word eternity, only to come to a strange man in a cave, all-knowing Genghis. Yeah. Oh, wait, I want to talk, wait, before we get to, to Genghis... Yeah. After Mordo like tells all of the world's mystics to be on the lookout, Strange goes to a bunch of different places around the globe before he gets to Genghis. Mm-hmm. And he talks to this one lady with like cat glasses, and he's like, "What do you know about eternity?" And she's like, "I haven't heard anything." But when they first start talking, she says, "You who saved my life many years ago." And there's an asterisk. And the asterisk goes to and says, uh, remind us to tell you about it sometime from Stan and Steve, right? <laughs> right. So here's the thing. I did research about this because, you know, oh. I always like to tell j- jokes about when things will actually happen and stuff like that. Right, right. No one ever tells this story. <laughs> I kind of figured as much because I actually did a little bit of a cursor research on this yeah. one too, and it just never came up anywhere. I'm like, no, oh, okay. no one. This is like a, a dangling plot thread for some ambitious uh, Doctor Strange writer, like 50 <laughs> years later. Hey, they can still pick that up today if you want to do it. Hey, I mean, at any time, you know, it's just there. <laughs> yeah, it's there. It, it's. I, I just thought it was funny that there's so much of comic book stuff that's just setting things up, and this is one. This is one ball that's still up in the air five decades later. So, but yes, yeah, uh, Genghis, I'm sorry. Yeah, but after after days and nights of searching, he finally comes across a man named Genghis, wearing not much at all in a cave. And he's a man who claims that he knows everything, including the secrets of eternity. <laughs> or maybe he doesn't. Genghis is good, man. He, uh, he'll show up every now and then when they need sort of a, a non-ancient one. Ancient one, basically. Right. The best Age Genghis story is is the Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom graphic novel, uh, The Triumph and the Torment. Mm. You learn actually a fair amount about Genghis's backstory and stuff. It's kind of fun. Gotcha. And then they so, go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> so, after inquiring about the meaning of eternity, Genghis actually believes that he might have a scroll that will uh, fill in Doctor Strange and what eternity must mean. And so then he, Doctor Strange goes out and finds himself a long abandoned temple and to access this scroll. And then enters a portal that was created by this scroll without actually reading what's on the scroll itself. As we can see, once uh, Baron Mortal p- picks up the scroll and says, it, this is an eternity. This is eternal doom. Oh, man. Well, the first half was good. I mean, you know. Yeah, almost there. Yeah. So then we see Doctor Strange entering a strange dimension with a whole bunch of various masks. And then we see a man who is b- being kept imprisoned. But why? Only to see that this man has, once his blindfold is removed... He said he, you know, defiantly states that he's found himself yet another victim. Oh, no. 
and his trait him didn't see the power of his eyes. Ah. Once anything that lives gazes into my enchanted eyes, I become its master, while you become yet another living trophy to be added to my occult collection. Yeah, they switch. When you look into this guy's eyes, you switch bodies with him. It's tough. Yeah, and of course the only way out of the spell is to uh, once again look into his eyes. But he quickly takes care of that by placing a kind of weird mystic mold over Doctor Strange's face. Yeah, it's like a big thing of like fix a flat. Like yeah. green fl- fix a flat that he puts over Doctor Strange's head. Which quickly, uh, very shapely forms to uh, Doctor Strange's head, including his yeah. hair. And like his mustache too. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty good um, uh, mold if you wanted to like do face mold stuff, I guess. And and of course, this man who has uh, thought that he has once again gotten away with yet another capture of a uh, of a mystic is is taken for a ride when uh, Doctor Strange begins controlling his cloak of levitation. No one, no one expects the cloak of levitation. It's excellent. Never. And uh, traps his captor and then breaks off the mask to. Uh, change back into his old body. And then, of course, he uh, brings out all the other mystics that he's captured throughout the years, only to have them all banished by Doctor uh, Strange. Doctor Strange knows what he's doing, man. He's got the plan. By showing them the light of the all-seeing eye of Agamotto. Yeah. Just, just send, send them back to their home worlds and uh, tells this guy to get walking. See, I shall bathe you in this enchanted light until your menace is ended. Forever! <laughs> Once again, sealing this dimension off from anyone ever accessing it again to to see this uh, terrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to once again return to uh, the mystic, the hip hideout of the ancient one to see that there's no other option but to actually enter the ancient one's mind. Yeah, the ultimate heist battle of the minds for the <laughs> ancient one, which takes us to Strange Tales number one thirty seven from October nineteen sixty five. This one starts with with uh, Nick Fury going to Shield, like Shield's equivalent of Q, I guess, to get kitted up. And I give him some pretty decent stuff, man. They give him a fedora with a, a periscope, a microphone tie that can self destruct, a dress shirt that can explode when you like expose it to fire. That one's gonna come in handy later. Yeah, and a uh, bulletproof three-piece suit, which is also always nice. Yeah. We also see two of the former Howling Commandos this issue. Yes. Dumb uh, Dumb Dugan with his oh. fantastic mustache. Dumb Dumb Dugan. You're my favorite Howling Commando. He doesn't have he doesn't have the bowler back yet, though. He's just got the mustache. And uh, Gabe Jones, who was the one African-American member of the Howling Commandos, and now he's all grown up, but he looks like extremely weird. because Yeah, he, the coloring on him is strange they've colored him to be like slate gray like the color gray of like if you got a pencil that said gray it's that color and then his hair is like light brown so he doesn't like at first i thought this guy was like a mutant or a space alien or something like that i was like why is no one talking about this no he's just black oh marvel (laughs) anyway Meanwhile, in this, epi- in this issue, there's like a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who's got a uh, microfilm that gets passed around. One agent has it, and then he gets shot by a flower box with a gun hidden inside. Another guy has the microfilm, and he's like on a train that gets waylaid by Hydra goons. And I just want to say that I love microfilm in general, because microfilm is excellent. Because it's just very, we're in the 1960s, and it's time for spy stuff, so we have microfilm. No, obviously you have to use microfilm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, you know, it's literally the flash drives of the day. And then but. also also a freaking submarine car. Yeah, man. There's a car that is a submarine car, and it's excellent also. But so, the microfilm is a plan for the Betatron bomb, which is 
a big powerful bomb that goes up into space and then can be dropped anywhere and it'll destroy the earth basically shield gets into their awesome jet the uh, intercontinental ballistic plane and try to fly to uh, hydra headquarters but it's too late the bomb gets launched into space where it'll threaten us all also during this adventure we're sort of teased about the identity of the leader of hydra imperial hydra but I kind of find that like plotline kind of boring, I guess, or like necessary, maybe. It it really isn't. I mean, it is kind of a big reveal at the end of all this, but eh. it's kind of a big reveal that sets up the excellent ultimate fate of Imperial Hydra is one thing, but the rest of it I can sort of take or leave. I think. Yeah. But um, we do learn that if you do well in Hydra, they reward you with money, and that money is literally in bags with dollar signs on them, which is pretty awesome. It's the only way that you should take large sums of cash, by the way. Absolutely. Except no substitutes. And we also learned that um, one of Hydra's, Hydra's top agents, um, a- Agent G, is Imperial Hydra's daughter. And she's having second thoughts about supervillainy. Which, you know, come on, man. Be a supervillain. And the Betatron bomb's been launched. It's bad. Oh, no. We'll see next time. So the big story is When Meet the Mystic Minds. Written and edited with amazing acumen by Stan Lee. Plotted and drawn with artistic aplomb by Steve Ditko. Lettered and bordered with ruler and pen by Artie Simak. So this one, Doctor Strange and the Ancient One goes Cerebro a Cerebro. Instead of Mano a Mano, you see. Um, so this one's kind of a tough one to recap because it's really just 80% of it is like Doctor Strange sitting on the Ancient One's bedside and kind of staring intently, you know? Yeah, it's it's just for him overcoming a bunch of mental barriers that the Ancient One has set up. Yeah, and so it's a lot of like, oh, there's a new trap. I must concentrate. Oh, I have to concentrate harder, you know, etc. That is, I think it's kind of cool on like the page just because you can see like the different art of the magical attacks and stuff. So I'll include that in our, in, in my social media stuff, but it's not super fun for recapping, I guess. But it, so eventually... Strange manages to contact the Ancient One inside his brain, and the Ancient One gives Doctor Strange a mighty spell to find Eternity. And it turns out that actually, the way that you talk to Eternity is, after Strange casts the spell, his uh, amulet that he like, wears around his neck grows bigger and bigger until it's the size of like a doorway. Strange jumps through the doorway, and he disappears, and is on his way to meet Eternity next, ep- next issue. Which means that, you know, everything goes through for the entire time he's had. The entire time. It's a real, like, Dumbo's feather kind of situation, you know? Like, he yeah. had it inside of him the whole time. Or I guess around his neck. But, I mean, you, you, you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, Drew, give us Strange Tales number 138 from November uh, 1965. Oh, uh, yeah. Strange Tales number 138. Sometimes the good guys lose. Oh, no. Uh, continuing on the, uh, the plot from the previous issue for the opening story with uh, Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Hydra has uh, has launched the Betatron bomb and it's currently sitting in orbit, waiting for them to just launch it. And here we see the the first uh, the first sign of the various Hydra divisions. I love these Hydra divisions, dude. And their and their giant their giant wall wheel. Pharmacy it's just Fox. like a rotary phone wheel of these. Like they're just there for reference. I think at this point. I, I just want to say that Planning Staff Owl might be the the best uh, division ever. Planning Staff Owl, not not supply company the camels or 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 administration mole mole administrate all hail mole team masters (laughs) of administration (laughs) 
so we see that the world is going is gone into panic with the looming threat of the Betatron bomb currently sitting in orbit, mm-hmm. while Tony Stark has come up with a way to disarm it. But as we can quickly see, that Hydra has infiltrated the shield base and is attempting to take down the Brainosaur. Dude, it's... <laughs> I'm kind of at a loss for whether that, that the thing is called the Brainosaur for no reason. <laughs> It's even more. It's even more fantastic in the next issue when uh, when Hydra's trying to break uh, Nick Fury. Yeah, no, and, I'm, I'll get to it. Yeah, <laughs> it's called the Brainosaur, man. It's so good. That's not a good name for like a bomb diffusing jet. And, and so we Anyhow. see that we see that like dozens, and I mean literally dozens of Hydra forces have to take down Nick Fury because it's the only way. Yeah, they th- well, you know, they sort of follow to the uh, the Batman classic of like, oh, like his chest is armored. <laughs> like they're really like he's, you know, he's got this bulletproof th- bulletproof three-piece suit, but they're shooting at him at close range, so they do him the the like the one up of not shooting him in the head. Or, like, even in, like, the tie area, you know, yeah. like, the area that is that the vest of his three-piece suit doesn't cover. I mean, had they shot him in the shirt, that would have just gone up. Yeah, it's true. His shirt yeah. would have exploded. <laughs> Fair enough, I guess. Yeah. They probably were thus not trying to do it. They probably do. I don't know. Uh, me- meanwhile, uh, Tony Stark uh, defends himself in a bulletproof cubicle. Because, you know, yeah. you, you, have a, you have a giant glass cube, use it. Yeah, and he kind of laments that, like... He that he forgot to bring a suitcase so he can't turn into Iron Man. Like Tony Stark's in this a lot and never turns into Iron Man. It's, it's like the comic book did book didn't have a, a big enough effects budget or something like that. It's it's definitely a, a Deadpool of its time. Yeah. Anyway, but weirdly, then a giant tank shows up. Yeah, a giant tank shows up and uh, takes Nick Fury back to the Hydra base, so that mm-hmm. way they can interrogate him. Those dastards. And then we get some more of the subplot about the Imperial Industries International. Yeah, so th- this, like, one scene I think is pretty funny, just because, like, so all these Imperial Industries scenes, they're basically, they're, they're very much sort of teasing us that it's this industrialist called Le- named Leslie Farrington, who, like, is a member of the board, everybody's really unhappy about him being member of the board, because he's all ruthless and stuff like that. Yeah, so obviously, obviously, but, he is he is the leader of Hydra. But obviously. I just like how, um, like, at the end of this scene, he goes to his secretary, who's, like, way, who's, like, a head shorter than him and stuff. And he just says, Brown, I need you to compile dossiers so I can blackmail every member of the board. <laughs> like he's like, like he does that like in two or three issues. Like he's just like, Brown, like I need you to do all my corporate evil stuff for me. And I want the corporate evil stuff on my desk by Monday morning. And Brown's like, yes, sir. You know? See, it's things like this that make the big reveal at the end of all this even better. Yeah. Okay. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway at the end of this story we see that hydra is essentially threatening the the leaders of the world by saying our beta trump bomb orbits above you so you have no choice but to accept the surrender yeah and meanwhile nick fury's wrapped up in this huge um straight jacket that he cannot escape from yeah i do appreciate that they're asking for surrender in term instead of some kind of austin powers style like dollar amount you know yeah <laughs> that, they're, that could be they're not fun asking. of later yeah, it's it's definitely not showing its age with well yeah. still showing its age. <laughs> so anyway, on to the Doctor Strange tale. Yes. If eternity should fail. Written and edited by the incredible Stan Lee, plotted and illustrated by Invincible Steve Ditka, lettered and bordered by 
indelible Sam Rosen. So, we see that Doctor Strange has entered the description-defying dimension of eternity. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's, like, all kinds of trippy and stuff. Yeah, there's a bunch of, like, gold atom things, chains of diamonds. It is actually kind of hard to describe. No, no it is it's generally hard to describe, which is why I'm having a difficult time here. But yeah, eventually... But it, is, it is really neat. Like, this is one of, like, the icon... This one and, like, two pages from now are, like, the two of the iconic pieces of Steve Ditko art for this run of Doctor Strange. Yeah. Uh, so eventually, after searching around this area for a while, uh, he eventually encounters a, a form that grows to take the image of a man, which we see is actually Eternity. And he, this guy continues to show up in Marvel Comics to this day. Absolutely. Like, whether Eternity, he's often either alive or dead, but he's always like an all-powerful cosmic force, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah, but, you know, Eternity being all of existence, contained within this this uh, figure of a man. Yeah, he's like a big, He's I guess he's basically black with like blue highlights, but his body, he's an outline of a body that's full of stars and suns and, stars and, suns and, and Saturn planets and stuff. Yeah, it, it's basically, you know, I, I believe that what it is, is he's just supposed to be uh, the entirety of the universe. Yeah, seems reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't really allow uh, Doctor Strange to get any words in and just says silence I must learn if you're worthy so, he definitely is a big he's a big believer in the silence principle yeah. <laughs> like, enough I, I speak no more I am eternity none seek eternity unless they desire power yeah so he scans Doctor Strange like he uses his eternity, mo eternity mojo on him yeah he scans Doctor Strange and sees that he is the, the disciple of the Ancient One and that the Ancient One has chosen well for he, Doctor Strange is extremely powerful yeah he's cool we all knew it but then he but then he says as for the power you desired it must be denied you you already possess what you the means to defeat your foes power is not only the answer the only answer events have occurred which require a key and wisdom is that key which is really like the worst thing you can impart on anybody looking for this kind of power he just you know he does the um it's like an after school special you know like, <laughs> like the, it, it's, it's within you all the time the, th the thing that you've been looking for has been in you this entire time it's like oh yeah. man like okay glad I just wasted like five issues trying to find you then jerk <laughs> couldn't you give me like a sweet axe or something I don't know yeah <laughs> Come on, buddy. You got stuff. Reach in there. <laughs> Let me borrow a Saturn or something. So, Doctor Strange mulling over these lessons that he's learned from eternity has returned back to the plane of Earth and then returns to the Ancient One to find that he is gone! Aw, oh, dick. Taken by the uh, minions of uh, Mordo. Yeah, I've been calling these guys the uh, spirit ninjas of Mordo. They do look like spirit ninjas. Uh, who, yeah. then who then direct Doctor Strange directly to Mordo to confront him head on. Oh, no. Yeah, he arrives and sees that the Ancient One's a captain. A prisoner of Mordo and Clay is also being held in a cage. And now it's time for the showdown. And we'll, do, we'll go to there in Doctor Strange number 139 from December 1965. So this, so the Nick Fury story starts with Hydra doing the old let's make you imagine that you've escaped to see what you would do kind of simulation thing. Right. I, I've seen it a lot in like in a Doctor Who, I think. I've, I think I've seen it at least three Doctor Who episodes. Oh, easily. But it shows up a, a fair amount, you know? And in this case, we see Fury's conception of the Brainosaur, which... <laughs> is basically this dinosaur with a giant brain that then blows up like the Betatron beam. It, it kind of looks like the Loch Ness Monster with a giant noggin. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Or like a Lampras from Pokemon or something. <laughs> but it, it blows it up with um, it's like, you know, it, it's heat breath which of course it has. And Hydra's like this can't be what the Brainosaur is. That's just dumb. And I'm like the Brainosaur is dumb all around. 
It's called <laughs> the Brainosaur. And eventually we flash to S.H.I.E.L.D. and we actually see that the Brainosaur is a, a crazy space plane with like an arm that goes forward. Yeah. Because like the, the thing about the Betatron, the Betatron bomb is that they can't shoot it out of the sky because then it will explode. They have to disarm it from space. And that's not as easy to do in superhero comics in like 1965, you know? Yeah. I feel like nowadays a bomb in space that needs to be disarmed is like just a Tuesday for most superheroes because space is not as space isn't as hard to get to as it used to be in the olden days, you know? Well yeah, anybody can go there. Yeah. But these are the olden days, so it's actually pretty difficult. So like you have to spend a bunch of time doing this brainosaur thing, basically. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Nova goes there for lunch every day. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh fry cook on Venus like a Ferris Bueller. Yeah. So anyow, we go we we uh we switch again to Fury as a prisoner of Hydra. And after, like, some Hydra security stuff, Fury gets fed uh, Hydra food, which is these packets. These things are awesome it's crazy okay so he takes this packet that looks that says steak on it opens it and it's full of like a pile of yellow powder and the powder makes a bunch of like thicka, 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 thicka sounds it says thicka over and over again and then suddenly like the powder explodes into a juicy steaming sirloin steak i would i would kill for this technology and and like there's a there's a caption underneath it that says for the more scientific minded fury's food has was reduced by energy compression and then under contact with air it resumed its basic form by the instant release of the compressed energy helpful stan like it's a real thing like sure he's explain the fact that there's a caption underneath makes it sound like he's explaining it like it's something that exists and it doesn't drew i don't know if you're aware of that <laughs> it, it i'm surprised by this i, I, I was thought, surprised too I, I was about ready to go to the grocery store and get myself a uh, a, a, a bunch of steak powder yeah <laughs> it turns into a steak have myself a good time <sighs> man this it's all just lies told to the children of the 60s, Drew. This is where hippies <laughs> come from. <laughs> so anyhow, as as Fury's eaten this like powder steak, Agent G shows up. And man, Agent G is the worst Hydra agent. She takes like her mask off. Everyone knows that she's Imperial Hydra's daughter, which seems weird. Like, like she's a person. And like you think, I don't know. I guess they don't have like facial recognition stuff. But you think it'd be easy to figure out who Imperial Hydra then was because you know his daughter. But apparently not. Well, she's the only um, one taking off her mask, so... Yeah. Constantly. Yeah, all the all the time. But so she offers to help um, Fury escape, but the condition is that no harm come to Imperial Hydra, and Fury's like, no dice. <laughs> like, I'm killing that guy if I can find him. So instead, Fury escapes himself by using the exploding shirt. Like, he puts the exploding... He puts the, uh, the, the coffee powder on the on the exploding shirt and it makes the shirt explode yeah and then he's free he's free to start just you know kicking ass yeah he uh steals the guards weapons and uh then it's fury time meanwhile um like the howling commandos sort of suit up and they begin to assault um the hydra base as well and that's sort of like where it ends like there's two there's two war there's two battle front going on both sides you know yes with the um, with the ever looming threat of the betatron bomb yeah only the Brainosaur can reach it now, dude. <laughs> it's called the Brainosaur. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going on with our secret agents these days. Anyhow, uh, you move on to the Doctor Strange story. Beware, Dormammu is watching. This how is kind of fun because the beware in Beware, Dormammu is watching has an ellipses, like, it, like you know, the three dots and yeah. an exclamation point. <laughs> so It's pretty great. It, it's like, beware, 
uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain. But so script by Sterling Stanley, art by stalwart Steve Ditko, letter lettering by stoical Artie Simak. So this is the big the big showdown between Doctor Strange and Mordo. Like after a quick pep a quick pep talk from the Ancient One and just some checking in on Cleo, who's still a prisoner, uh, the fight begins. And it quickly goes bad for Strange because Dormammu is powering up Mordo and Mordo's way too too powerful for him so eventually strange tries a desperate gambit to try to fool mordo he makes an illusionary copies of, of himself and claims that eternity has taught him to cast spells with both his astral form and his solid body at the same time which is bold very yeah. bold yeah mordo or uh, dormammu instantly sees through it but mordo is tricked and suddenly he thinks he's fighting two targets instead of... And so he's only attacking, like, actual Strange at half strength. And this this leads to uh, some high-quality supervillain berating by Dormammu of Mordo. Like, he quilled fool, I shall open your cowardly eyes. No, it's all it's it's pretty fantastic. It, you know, right up to the point where Dormammu essentially forces Mordo to actually see through the illusion. Yeah. And so, finally, Mordo starts fighting again, but Dormammu isn't giving him his power anymore because he's sick of Mordo's bungling. And thus, Doc, both Doctor Strange, Mordo, and the Ancient One are instantly teleported to parts unknown, as we'll see next week. Or, I guess, like, in a couple minutes. Yeah. All right, we're, and halfway through our, uh third episode of stranger by the dozen the dr strange recap podcast drew yes conrad it's time for strange tales number 140 from january 1966 hang on to your hat it's the end of hydra this is the big one. Oh man i've been waiting for this this is gonna be so good <laughs> so continuing on from, from our last nick fury story we see like the big confrontation between the howling commandos and hydra yeah man where where agent g and uh, nick fury are currently fighting their way out yeah they tried to escape from a robot spewing coma gas which is one of the top three worst gases yeah and uh, as the battle intensifies we see that hydra is calling upon their mightiest squads <laughs> oh no who could it be i speak none other than a of skateboard unit A and skateboard unit B. Yes. So uh, a little behind the scenes for listeners. While I was reading these comp, while I was reading this issue, and I saw skateboard unit B, I immediately messaged Drew, and I was like, Drew, I hope you're familiar with the greatest fighting force in the history of humankind. Skateboard units A and B. Intimately. Intimately, I, I could really spend, good guys. <laughs> uh, I could spend a solid forty minutes just going on and on and on about skateboard unit A and B. But so it's nineteen sixty six, right? Yeah, I'm not enough of a historian to know what's like to what extent skateboards as we understand them today exist. But they can't have been what they are in this. <laughs> So the they, best they look like dollies. Yeah, the best I can like and I can just like describe them is that they kind of look like planks of wood, like two inch thick wood, mm -hmm. with two wheels, one in the front and one in back. Yeah, it's not even like a two wheels on the front and the back, like an actual skateboard or anything like that. It's just one wheel. Yeah, just just two wheels together, and just like, I... it, it looks kind of like something that you'd use if you worked like a supermarket to move things around, like the market. Yeah, but but it wouldn't be because the 
two wheels in the middle means that it wouldn't stand upright on its own. It's completely unwieldy and unworkable. I am endlessly enthralled by Skate Work Unit A and B to the point where I'm creating my own alternate history for what these units are. Like, the, the mighty Skateboard Unit A, peerless in, in their strength, and, and the worthless and inept uh, Skateboard Unit B, filled with just the, the, the misfits. Dude, now that they're on Season 5, and like, no one, or I guess 4, whatever, now that they're a couple seasons in, and they're sort of solidified themselves, Agents I just, of Shield. I need Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to fight some dudes on skateboards. <laughs> yes, please, I want that. They can, they, it doesn't have to be these old school, like, Skateboard Unit A and B, it can be like modern guys. No, they, but, they just they just need to call them skateboard unit A and B. I just really want like Hydra to f- send a unit of skateboarders against Colston or something like that, just try to take him down or something. That would so be good. so good. So good. It's funny because I was I did research to like find out if they if these guys like showed up again or something, and everything I could find about like these skateboard units was just other people reading this issue of Strange Tales number one forty. <laughs> And being compelled to go on the internet and, like, put pictures up and be like, skateboard unit A and B. (laughs) What the (laughs) heck is going on? (laughs) Let's not get super distracted by these skateboard units. Let's not get derailed here. Okay, Despite the fact they've now taken over our lives in every way. (laughs) Anyway. But that's good cosplay, by the way, if anybody's going to a convention or something like that. It's like such a deep cut. Like so skateboard deep. unit, no one will be. You will be. No one will dress. Will be dressed like you. It'll be great. No one will question your status as yeah. a as an actual authentic fan. Thumb your nose at those forty dead Deadpool's with your Hydra unit skateboard unit B costume. <laughs> anyway, we we see the the uh, the Brainosaur being launched into orbit to uh, to take out the the Betatron bomb, mm-hmm. as uh, Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos fight their way out of the Hydra base, being relentlessly pursued by Skateboard Unit A. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see that the Howling Commandos are being confronted by the Skateboard Unit A, yeah, circling around, around them. them and stuff. But eventually, huh. Fury and the Commandos link up, and it seems kind of like fait accompli, where, where they're carrying the day. Yeah, absolutely. And then later on, we see that Tony Stark has succeeded successfully disarmed the Betatron bomb, uh, removing the Hydra threat. Yeah, those guys are done. And then then we see the final reveal. The big reveal. Seeing that Imperial Hydra is. Imperial Hydra being revealed as the secretary. (laughs) 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 Okay, yeah, yeah. It wasn't the big evil CEO guy. It was the the nerdy secretary. I had no friends, no life other than Hydra. Only my daughter mattered to me. Now in order to destroy Fury, I must also doom her. Oh, no. And so he goes about trying to... to, Hit the self-destruct button on the uh, Hydra base, as you do. Yeah. Why would you have a base without a self-destruct? That's what I want to know. Seriously. But onwards to the Doctor yes. Strange tale. The Pincers of Power. Mm-hmm. Script Stan Lee. Art Steve Ditka. Lettering S. Rosen. What more can you ask? Nice. Very simple this time around. Yeah. This one and the next one, I think. Where we see that, uh, that Dormammu, sick of the incompetence of uh, Mordo, has decided to take matters into his own hands by just knocking out the the mindless ones to uh, be able to like use the full extent of his power and not have to deal with like holding these guys back. Yeah, I like that because so many of these like every previous Dormammu fight has ended with the mindless ones getting out of hand 
and then Dormammu having to fight them. So this sort of takes away that option for the fight. It's basically saying like, all right, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to end the way that the fight, these fights normally end. All right. So he crafts himself a sleep potion and puts in like this weird little unhappy spiky bomb thing to. Yeah. It's like a yuck face that like yeah. flies. <laughs> he, he then beckons forth uh, various uh, sp- spiritual masters from across the universe to see this fight between him and Doctor Strange. Yeah, this was cool. I, I read an article that was sort of, it was this big, um, it was some dude's like doctorate thesis or something that was about like Silver Age Doctor Strange. Really? And, he, and yeah, it's, it's cool. I'll, 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 I'll link it to you and in like the notes for the show. But um, he kind of talks about this like part as being kind of interesting because it sort of shows that like there's this whole like hierarchy of like other um like evil magical dudes and that are sort of held in check by Mordo. And he sort of posits that, like, there's an interesting story that hasn't really been told, or that isn't told in this part of Doctor Strange, that, like, the role of the Sorcerer Supreme is also a diplomatic one, kind of between these different lords of the netherworld and stuff like that. Right, and um, as, we, as we see in later issues, that uh, there there isn't just one Sorcerer Supreme. Uh, there's, yeah. like, multiples for the various planes. Yeah, and so, I don't know, it's just sort of an interesting, like, we get this, this is really a hint of, like, this larger multiverse that we haven't really seen even though you know we've seen like Dormammu in his dimension we've seen a couple sort of pocket dimensions like you know beyond the purple veil and stuff like that but this is the first hint that there's just like a bunch of like rulers of dimensions both good and bad sort of all over the place you know and they form this cool like multicolored audience for the big fight yeah so as we see uh Dormammu directly confront uh Stephen Strange yeah and calls him out this kind of weird like pincer battle which it, I, like, so they both have these gloves, which have these kind of, like, weird, like, energy pincers on them. Yeah, they look kind of like half moons, kind of. Yeah. But, but like, if you get someone, like, get get the pin, like, get the half moon sort of up to someone's, like, arm, it'll, like, bind them and stuff. Yeah. And there's a lot of, like, kind of, it's like wrestling, basically. Yeah, it's basically wrestling with these things, and they're trying not to get their, their heads pinched, otherwise they'll get knocked out. Yeah, yeah, it's more, it's more like a WWF match than, say, like the dance knife fighting in uh in a beat it or <laughs> west side story or something like that those are my two big standards for sort of dramatic or like for, for dramatic fighting that's not just like a, a lightsaber battle or something like that and, and so we we gradually see this uh, this fight go back and forth between dr strange and dormammu until it it seems like uh dr strange has the upper hand but then baron mordo defending his master then knocks out Doctor Strange. Yeah, he zaps him right in the back. Even though the Ancient One, you know, sensing the impending danger, actually attempts to stop the spell from uh, hitting him. Yeah, it's not enough. We get this cool picture of uh, Dormammu, like, standing over Strange's smoking body. Yeah, with the, the next issue, the final defeat. Yeah. So let's go right to that issue. It'll be exciting. All right, so Strange Tales number 141 from February 1966. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so Hydra's been defeated, and the first half of this issue is basically mopping up Hydra, which includes some of some Hydra goons sort of following Imperial Hydra through the underground tunnels in New York City to like check on Imperial Hydra, and they just find the nerdy secretary guy, and they're like, "Hey, where's Imperial Hydra?" And the nerdy guy is like, "I'm Imperial Hydra." And like, no way, man! Imperial Hydra's like tall and imposing, and you're like. A mustachioed nerd with glasses and he's like no i am i wore padded robes built up shoes i did it too 
impress you. You must believe me. Hail Hydra, immortal Hydra. We shall never be destroyed. And then they shoot him right in the face. It's and rough, that's man. The, that's the end of Imperial Hydra, you know? You win some, you lose some, I guess. And then when Fury and the Commandos and Agent G arrive in the, um, in the base or in the office where Imper- Imperial Hydra now lays dead, they find his um, special, like, dictator shoes that make him taller. But they're also suction cup shoes? For some reason. I, I don't know what the, what's going on with that. Yeah. So Agent G puts on the suction cup shoes and basically runs away on the side of the building, su- suction cup style. And Fury's just like, let her go. It's Hydra Town, basically. <laughs> But before we even get, we can even do anything, we jump into our next story, which is apparently um, Hydra also has an ESP division. Sure, why not? Yeah. Um, the ESP division is based around these three people called the Thinkers, who, um, you know, can do brainwave. It's, it's, they're like... They're like the Minority Report guys, kind of, but they can also, like, brain blast you. And it's funny because they're, it's like a, uh, a man smoking a pipe, like a redhead and an old guy. And they have, like, these black bars covering their eyes. And they always cut back to them throughout this story. And it's very, I find it to be, like, kind of disconcerting, actually. I don't know. Yeah, I, seriously, I don't know what's going on with that. But so their brain waves are um, incredibly powerful. And to avoid that, you have to wear these brain helmets, which are basically like those old school deep sea diver helmets, like you'd wear like in a diving bell or something like that, with like a big circular TV antenna on top of it. And I don't know. <laughs> it's dumb. <laughs> But, like, when Ner- when Fury's blasted, like, mind-blasted, it also wakes up a guy who used to be part of the ESP division, but is now in hiding. And he, seeing that they've opened up the ESP division, swears revenge. And he uses his mental powers to find another super criminal to, to help him. And this super criminal is, like, a booby a booby trap-based villain called The Fixer, who is currently on- breaking himself out of prison. Who then puts on a gas mask and then some rubber sheeting and then launches himself out on some sort of like rocket platform? He uh, to me, he kind of looks like a big, like a mechanical potato on the detector to this guy. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, but so that's the fixer. So ment- so this so the psychic guy. Uh, Mentalo is gonna team up with the Fixer, and they're gonna destroy Shield, which is you know basic mo, I guess. Sure, why not? And that is what they're doing next issue. For now, though, we go to Doctor Strange with the story. Let there be victory. And there's no funny captions this time. It's just uh, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, Artie Simek, and we come back like a few seconds after the last episode. And Dormammu is pissed that Mordo cheated during the fight because Dormammu wants to win fair and square because he's got, like, a twisted sense of honor. You know, Dormammu is basically lawful evil, not chaotic evil like Mordo. Right. So Strange catches his breath and the fight is back on. And after some sweet judo moves, basically, uh, Doctor Strange lifts Dormammu over his head and that's a win. Dormammu, of course, says he could have won at any time using his mystic powers, but Doctor Strange is kind of like points to the scoreboard and is like you coulda but you didn't um and of course Dormammu makes like that classic villain's exit by shaking his fist and then uh, ducking away well he almost does that but first he shakes or uh, wait no you're right I'm sorry I'm getting mixed <laughs> up Dormammu yeah and he may and Doctor Strange like 
makes him super double swear to never mess with Earth again. And it's like, all right, no, like, trying to find loopholes this time. And then he and the Ancient One both return to uh, Earth, basically. But they realize that they've forgotten Clea in the Dark Dimension. And so as they're sort of chilling out after the banquet of... After the victory, the victory banquet, Dormammu comes on the evil phone and is like... Hey, you think you won? You know this chick? Oh, she's banished to the other dimensions. You'll never see her again. Because now you know, Dormammu can never lose. Such a great line. Yeah, so Doctor Strange is about to give chase, but the Ancient One stops him and basically says, like, hey, Mordo set up this huge magical empire around the Earth. You've got to clean up the place, you know, remove this evil before you can do extra-dimensional stuff. He's got goons everywhere. And we cut to uh, the Sanctum Sanctorum, where there are goons everywhere. Um, it's the it's two of the main um, Mordo goons we've been seeing. Caecilius, who's like this acrobat kind of guy with a mustache. Uh, the demon... Uh, and a mysterious new goon in a trench coat, and they're hatching a plan. Basically, before Doctor Strange arrives back at the Sanctum Sanctorum, they hide a bomb in Strange's room. Uh, and since it's a mundane bomb, Strange won't be able to find it by scanning for magic. And we end this issue with the bomb, with Doctor Strange back home, meditating and being real tired, and the bomb about to explode. <laughs> and so we go to Strange Tales issue number 142 from March 1966 for a, a comic that they did have a title for this thriller honest but Jolly Jack didn't leave us room to letter it <laughs> There's a, this is a pretty cool cover of like all the shield guys in these um, suits with bubble helmets and then the fixer and mentalo like jet packing above them like shooting everybody with ray guns and stuff it, it's pretty sweet so then we have our uh, our uh, Nick Fury Agent of Shield story, like where he's facing up against like giant robots, as made by the Fixer in Mentallo. <laughs> uh, we then, you know, at, when that robot is easily handled by uh, Shield. Yeah, I think this is actually a Shield robot that like goes out of control. Oh, it, oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Okay. But like, it's but it just kind of starts with this crazy Jack Kirby art robot. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like things are happening. Oh man. It, it is pretty nuts looking. And then we get another view of the uh, three, uh, the hypersensitive subjects in the brainwave yeah. simulator. Uh, and of course, this lady is no longer a redhead. Now she's blonde. Oh my gosh, I just noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> Mystic powers! <laughs> or psychic powers, I guess. But yeah, we see the uh, our, our various uh, agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. like preparing for combat against yeah. uh, Mentallo and the Fixer. Yeah, as Mentallo scuba dives deep into the Fixer's undersea base. Yeah. And the Fixer's like, only a mind reader could have come found my hiding place. And Mentallo's like, that's precisely what I am. I am Mentallo. But then we eventually get to our, our big face-off between Mentallo and the Fixer and the Nick Fury and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. But of course... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, of course, the entire thing ends with uh, Nick Fury not being, uh, not, you know, being able to hold his own against Mentallo and the Fixer. And then... Mm -hmm getting a mask placed on him which places him under control of Mentallo and the Fixer. Oh no. It's the second time he's been kidnapped, by the way. I just want to put that out there. It's happened in terms lot. of competency levels. Anyway, moving on to our Doctor Strange tale. Yeah. Those Who Would Destroy Me. Where we get back to our extravagant uh, titles here. Extravagantly edit edited and written by Stan Lee. Painstakingly plotted and drawn by Steve Ditko. And lovingly lettered and bordered by Artie Simek. Where we have uh, Doctor Strange immediately after our last tale, uh, returning to the Sanctum Sanctorum for uh, rest and meditation. Only to find that 
Someone else has been has been in here and tampered with things. And then he does uh, he does find the bomb, which he he does realize that he wouldn't be able to find with his mystic senses. Mm-hmm. A commonplace explosive device, which he then grabs and then flies out of the Sanctum Sanctorum and uh, hurls it into the air. Nice, that's a classic move, of course. Only be to be to be ambushed. Ah, these jerks. And captured by Mordo's goons. <laughs> I don't know if these goons. That's <laughs> nah, okay. And of course, we find out they are, you know, that they're going to uh, examine uh, Doctor Strange's amulet and his cloak. Yeah, F- uh, examine the mysteries of his cloak. I mean, hey, you know, if you could use a cloak, of, like no, no one else has a cloak of levitation. It's a fairly unique, like, magical item. Oh, absolutely. So Mordo, being the overconfident sort, decides to take on Doctor Strange directly. No, man, that's the demon. Oh, that's the demon. Oh, that is the demon. Yeah, my bad. Mordo, so de- uh, like, I guess I, I guess I forgot to mention, but when um, I think. It's when uh, Dormammu got defeated, he uh, he banished Mordo into, like, the netherworld or something like that. Ah. Like, Mordo's not a threat at the moment. Okay. My bad. No problem. They, like, they, they both have a very green color scheme, so it's easy to get them mixed up. So, we see that the Ancient One is uh, going to, searching for uh, Clea in the various dimensions. Meanwhile, the demon has decided to take on Doctor Strange directly by trying to mind-probe him. Yes. And, of course... This this backfires on him spectacularly. Yeah. So I also mentioned at this point, Doctor Strange is in this like crazy magic bondage gear, kind of. Oh yeah, that that comes up uh, a lot. Uh, that comes up later in this issue. Yeah, but he's got a crazy face mask and like these weird metal rocks on his hands. That's so he can't do the hand motions to cast spells, basically. Yeah, and he can't see much of anything either. No. Which, yeah, he's blind as well, which is important. <laughs> and of course, we then find out that the. The actual the actual identity of our figure in the trench coat and the in the hat, whose face has been obscured this entire time, indeed, is is a lady sorceress. Yes, she's not named at this point. Um, okay, we won't we won't find out the name of most of these of most of these guys until like the eighties or something. <laughs> But yeah, it's a lady sorceress, and she's like trying to find the secret of the amulet, while the other guys try to find the uh, secret of the cloak, and Doctor Strange is now taking control of the demon and like tries and, to make his escape. Yeah, and she has, you know, seen this happen, and it's just like, well, these incompetent fools. They're all so incompetent, man. Everybody yeah. is. <laughs> and so and so then we, then we see that she has begun to uh, protect uh, the demon from being interfered by Doctor Strange with any further. And so he decide and so in order to actually see where he's going, he actually has to enter his uh, his astral form. Yeah, I kind of like this. Where it's like um, you see Doctor Strange's body, and then his spirit form is just kind of kind of peeking out. Yeah, it's, it's peeking out so you can see where he's going. It's it's important. Yeah, as he goes racing around looking for an exit from this uh from this lair. Yeah, occasionally peeking out in a spirit form just to see where the heck he's going. Yeah, just so he knows like when he's accosted by the goons, like like just sort of the generic goons, not the main goons. Yeah. When he's accosted by the goons, he's able to like punch him in the face with his like manacled hands and stuff. Which really they shouldn't have put those metal things in his hands because they're just gonna screw him up. I mean, you know, there's a couple. Of, it's hard, you know. It's Being hard to a, ma- be in a uh, magical, an evil magic goon. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, Doctor Strange are uh, masters of the martial arts as well, so... Yeah, but so eventually, Doctor Strange makes his escape from the uh, apartment. Makes his escape leaping from rooftop to rooftop. Yeah, it's good work for someone with no hands, I gotta say. With no hands, is not able to see where he's going. Yeah, but now he's out, and it's revenge time. Yep, which happens in the next issue. Yeah, Doctor Strange number 143, or sorry, Strange Tales 143 from April 1966. Uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. story is to free a brain slave, which is pretty nice. <laughs> but so, um, 
I'll just try to make this quick. Um, Fixer and Mentaro have kidnapped uh, Nick Fury. They weld his hands to a mini H-bomb. Eventually, he makes contact with the ESP division by singing like a World War One song, I guess. Um, the ESP guys find him and start zapping the whole area with brainwaves to like distract Mentaro and the Fixer. Throughout all of this, um, Tony Stark has been on the factory floor of S.H.I.E.L.D. building a device called the Nullifier, which he then shoots at the at the mini H bomb and like neutralizes it. At which point, Shield attacks and Fury's free, basically, and everybody goes home for the night. <laughs> and we get ready next issue for the Druid, which like, you know a ship gets destroyed by a giant crazy space egg. It's weird. And the Doctor Strange story is with none beside me, edited and rehashed by Stan Lee, written and rewritten and rewritten by Roy Thomas, plotted and drawn by Steve Ditko, lettered and blotted by Artie Semek. So Stan Lee's out as the official writer of the comic, uh, for now at least. These two issues will be written by Roy Thomas who'll do a much bigger part of writing Doctor Strange when Strange gets his own comic in a few years. Anyway, so Strange is stuck in his bondage mask and steel mittens. Low on options, he stashes his body in a water tower and goes astral to figure out what to do. Eventually, he finds his cloak of levitation and he uses it and he psychically controls it to take out the goons and mind whammies them to get information on the goons' plan. And it, it finally sort of culminates in a big fight between the big three of the goons, uh, the demon, Caecilius, uh, uh, and Adrena, that's, and, no, sorry, Adria, that's the lady goon, squaring off against Doctor Strange's astral form, his amulet, and cloak of levitation as three separate opponents. In the end, Strange tricks the goons into accidentally blasting each other. Um, I do want to note here that, like, Adria actually does some high-quality gooning in this issue, and would have won if it weren't for the other two's bumbling. Just FYI, well, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But so, at the end of this fight, Doctor Strange does what he normally does when he fights um, evil wizards, which is magically brainwashing them to never do magic or be evil again. Note that this is like the second time he's done this to the demon, <laughs> one of the goons, and they'll all be back doing magic and being evil in Doctor Strange number 56, about 16 years from now. <laughs> This is Doctor Strange Volume 2. Anyway, now it's uh, time to go find Clea, who is technically still just a nameless girl from the Dark Dimension. Oh, uh, yes, yeah, in Strange Tales number 144. That's yes, uh, May 1966. Yes, which features the, the uh, Nick Fury Agent of the Shield story, The Day of the Druid, which features a really strange-looking character in this purple costume with kind of, kind of horns and just, it's weird-looking. It's weird it was green on the cover, too. I just want to point yeah. that out. Oh yeah, that's really weird. But yeah, yeah, I don't like this guy, man. He's he he's horning in on uh, Doctor Strange's action by using magic, you know? Yeah, seriously. But that turns out to be like Scooby Doo magic. Yeah, bringing forth the egg of Satan. It's this story is strange. It's a big egg. <laughs> it's just a giant egg <laughs> that crashes into things. It's flying all over the place, <laughs> which actually just turns out to be full of like mechanical stuff. Yeah, this guy's pretending to be an evil Satan dude, but he's actually just a standard mega criminal guy and then of course i just want to note at the end of this uh this story we actually get a uh, a good view of uh, one jasper sitwell Ooh. yeah sitwell's like a, one of the one of the new reoccurring characters for shield i think he kind of shows up and is like he's like a boy scout in comparison to like you know like maybe like dumb, 
dum dum Duggan being all like full of vim and vigor and not and going by and you know Dugan goes by his gut and Sitwell goes by the book and together they're shield agents you know yeah and this guy is very clearly you know visualized as a as kind of like a tall guy uh, blonde with glasses and freckles yeah he's a huge nerd yeah he is a huge... like the first like the, the he, he he they introduce him by him going to like the secret shield barber shop and him saying like hello like I'm an agent of shield please let me in and the barber being nah get out of here it's like what are you doing come on get out yeah and then fury and and dugan come in and like use the special barber chairs to like they're like elevators down to shield headquarters but they're like later nerd and like they don't let sitwell come with them sitwell's kind of fun because he's one of the character he's another character that makes it on into the marvel cinematic universe with a, he's like in the first season of agents of shield and stuff yeah, first season, uh, season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and actually his last big role in the MCU is when he's unceremoniously tossed from a car onto the freeway by the Winter Soldier. That's a bummer. Yeah. But, you know, what do you, what do you expect from nerds, right? <laughs> nerds turn to Hydra, no less. As we, as we um, approach the conclusion of our comic book-themed podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, on to our Doctor yeah. Strange tale, where man hath never trod. Uh, edited with uh, perspicacity. Perspicacity. Yeah, <laughs> by Stan Lee. Written with uh, precocity by Roy Thomas. Plotted and illustrated with profundity by Steve Ditka. And lettered with the windows closed by Artie Semek. All the letterer ones are always really funny to me. <laughs> uh, here we have... Here, Doctor Strange continues his search for Clea throughout the various dimensions, uh, searching to where uh, wherever Dormammu has decided to toss her. Yeah, and of course, we see that uh, Dormammu is not going to exactly make it easy for the good Doctor as well. Of course sure not. Set up set up as many uh, pitfalls for him as as possible. Yeah, in this case, in the form of um of Asti, his hawk faced familiar, who then leads Doctor Strange to the realm of Taza, the green cat dude. Yep. And of course, we see that uh, the Ancient One has continued the search for uh, Clea for, uh, in his think- as a way of thanking Doctor Strange for uh, all the help saving him. Yeah. And so we see that uh, that Doctor Strange is lured to the dimension of uh, Azza. Yeah. Taz is this big green cat dude, which is kind of weird looking. <laughs> yeah, it's, it has kind of weird big floppy arms and stuff. Yeah. And uh, Doctor Strange uses the cloak of levitation as kind of a shield between him and uh, Taza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they end up having a bunch of big crazy wizard fights, basically. <laughs> Crazy wizard fights, and eventually where Taza turns into the final and most fearful transformation, which is kind of like this kind of owl with pincers on its head. Yeah, it's thing. awesome. It's, it's weird looking, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, it's a big white uh, tentacle owl, basically. <laughs> which uh, encases Doctor Strange within itself. Yeah. Into like yet another kind of pocket dimension. Yeah, where we see a bunch of like frozen guys, statues. Yeah. Potentially uh, previous uh, victims of Taza. Yeah. So in the end, there's sort of like another big wizard fight. Yeah. And Strange, you know, I don't. Strange kind of bests him. Like, he does a bunch of, like, special wizard moves, and Taza is defeated. And Strange, sort of, like he did actually with um, the mask guy from earlier, he kind of lets everybody go free. Yeah. And tells Taza to stop, you know, to stop being a jerk, basically. It's, it's very much along the lines of stop being a dick, Taza. And, uh, you know, here's where I'd normally say that Taza will return, like, being a jerk in uh, Never, actually. This is his last, this is his first and only, like, appearance in a non-flashback. A flashback to be like, I fought Taza in his dimension once or twice. But it, it sticks for once. Like, someone, Dr 
Doctor Strange says to stop being a jerk, to stops being a jerk, and it's good times. <laughs> and of course, at, at the end of the issue, we see a, a very fearful Asti returning to uh, his master Dormammu and saying that Taza has failed to destroy Doctor Strange. Oh no! <laughs> As Doctor Strange continues to search for Clea. All right, which brings us to an exciting second, an exciting guest starring issue in Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number Two. So before we get to the story for Spider-Man Annual 2, I want to quickly talk about, like, annuals, like a- annual comic books, and how they relate to both, actually, how I'm putting together this podcast, and how Steve Ditko viewed crossovers. <laughs> it's a big it's a big thing. Um, so, you know, during the summer, U.S. comics used to put out annuals, which were bigger versions than usual of comics that might have a bunch of collected stories in them or so- or something, and then later... Um, comic companies will use annuals to coordinate big summer crossovers that came before the big crash in the 1990s. So about what I'm putting in this podcast is that Doctor Strange actually also appeared in Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1, but I've decided not to cover that issue in the, in the podcast. Uh, annual 1 sees Spidey fighting the Sinister Six all across New York City, and basically the entire Marvel comic book line appears in this issue, except for Nick Fury, who is then just fighting in World War II, and Daredevil, whose book hadn't been hadn't premiered yet when the book was when the annual was being written. So this includes Doctor Strange for one page, where where Spider-Man sort of fighting some thugs, sort of crush Doctor Strange's path, and he becomes astral to avoid them but it's just like one page and my general guideline at this point for the show is that dr strange appears in two pages or less of a comic and it's probably just a cameo and can be skipped just because i don't want to bog us down with like a thousand like avenger comics where they just sort of use him to give exposition about a specific magic item or something like that you know, we're busy people. We want Doctor Strange stories that are actually Doctor Strange stories. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's a bunch of stuff like that. Like, it's become sort of a motif in Marvel Comics where something big happens and they cut to Doctor Strange for an Obi-Wan type moment. Like, the best example, I think, is when Dark Phoenix goes, when Jean Grey becomes Dark Phoenix and, um, you know, she becomes evil and it's a big deal and they go to a panel of Doctor Strange where he says, I sense images of great mystic power great passion great evil but what meaning do they have for dr strange and the answer is nothing they have nothing to do with him so we're skipping those issues <laughs> so the other thing and i thought this, this is kind of interesting which is that uh steve ditko hated comic book crossovers he felt they diluted the character of a superhero to have him interact with other superheroes that's why in an earth like Last issue, when we had a Thor crossover in the Strange Tales book, Thor and Doctor Strange didn't actually meet. Like, Thor just kind of flies by the Sanctum Sanctorum, and they don't actually talk to each other. And even in the earlier Spider-Man annual, and, Spi- and Steve Ditko dr- draws Strange and Spider-Man, he, he's the, the artist for both those books, the annual just sort of has Spider-Man moving around, and then all the other characters sort of, they don't actually meet him, they just sort of move in circles around him. Like, the big storyline is it's J. Jonah Jameson trying to reach Spider-Man by phone, and the only way he can do it is to call all the other super teams and ask if they know of him, and nobody knows where to find him, basically. <laughs> he ends up interrogating, like, an actual spider if he knows Spider-Man. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's why if you look at like early spider-man like the first hundred issues of spider-man or something they feel pretty insular like he's as opposed even to like the agent of fury jesus the agent of shield comic that we read earlier like you know 
Tony Stark's in there frequently. Like, there's a lot more crossover and other things, but Ditko didn't like it, so he tries to keep it out. He only wanted heroes to meet in big events, like, say, the annual edition of a, of a comic, which takes us to The Wondrous World of Doctor Strange, written and edited by the Toast of Marvel, Stan Lee, plotted and drawn by the Boast of Marvel, Steve Ditko, and lettered and bordered by the Ghost of Marvel, Sam Rosen. So the story starts in, uh, so the story starts with Spider-Man on patrol, but New York is, quote, Dullville tonight. <laughs> or it is until a mysterious man in green with an evil goatee and a monocle finds two toughs fighting in a bar and hypnotizes them to do his bidding. This is Zandu. And he, has the, and he gives the toughs super strength and endurance and sends them to rob Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. It turns out that Zandu has half of an ancient artifact, the Wand of Watum and Strange has the other half. The Tufts arrive at Strange's house, beat him up, and wreck up the place until they find the other half of the wand. They leave via the roof where they bump into a patrolling Spider-Man. Spider-Man tries to stop them, but the magicked up Tufts are too much for him, and they beat him up as well. Luckily, even though he's beaten, Spidey's able to attach a spider tracker to them as they escape. So when Spider-Man recovers, he follows the Tufts back to Xandu's hideout, where Xandu has put the wand back together. And then after some quips and standard Spider-Man moves, so like flipping around and shooting webs in people's eyes and stuff, uh, Xandu banishes Spider-Man to another dimension. But as he does, Spidey grabs the wand of Watum with his webbing and takes it with him. And Spider-Man finds, his, finds himself in the middle of a Ditko spacescape, and the enchanted thugs soon follow so while spider-man fights in space dr strange tracks down down zandu himself and they have a wizard battle culminating in spider-man and the thugs returning to earth and zandu recovering the wand things look bad until spider-man manages to zap the thugs with electricity which seems to uh get rid of their enchantment and um it allows both spider-man and dr strange to fight zandu at the same time and they follow the usual anti-wizard fighting protocol which is like you got to keep him on his toes so they can't actually form the spells right and so eventually strange and spider-man beat zandu and strange sucks the power out of the wand of watu thus threat of Watum exists no more. Then, Strange brainwashes the magic out of Xandu. His evil ambition will fade away forever. But then, uh, both Xandu and a restored wand of Watum will, will return when Spider-Man and Doctor Strange meet again in Marvel Team-Up number 21 in 1974. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, like, this, like, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man fighting Xandu is a thing. Like, whenever they team up, they team up to fight Xandu. It happens a couple times. And there's also a couple Wands of Watum around, like, the Marvel Universe. I think Tony Stark just got one off of Doctor Doom, like, a, a couple months ago. Yeah. Uh, the start of the new in, in, Invincible Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, like, Doctor Doom is saying that, oh, this Wand of Watum basically fell from another universe. Just kind of in the flotsam and jetsam of things that kind of fall from a universe to universe. And... <laughs> He came across it, and as a show of good faith to Tony, he gives it to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's just wands of wands of Watum out there, I guess. But so okay, this is the end of a pretty excellent series of comics. Uh, between last week's and this week's, they make up what's normally called the Eternity Saga, and it's basically the climax of Steve Ditko's run on Doctor Strange. He'll only do two more issues after this. And then we'll move to the artistic styles of Bill Everett. So, Drew, what did you think of this week's issues? I thought they were pretty great. Yeah, man. I'm like, I know we spent a lot of time on Nick Fury this week, and I'm going to try to do less next week. I really get caught up with the, <laughs> like, the, it's just such a big change for me. 
from like superhero stuff and like even magic stuff with Doctor Strange that it really like is it's really fun for me. No, it, it's entirely novel and it's just fantastic. They're just fantastic reads. Yeah, I think I feel like it'd be less of a big deal if you actually grew up with like actual a lot of like spy stuff, you know, like. This would just feel like it was rip. I feel like it would, you'd think it, this is just a rip off of like the Man from Uncle or something like that. <laughs> if you were like like a kid in 1966, but for me, where TV show isn't all spy shows, it's all police procedurals. <laughs> it's, like, it's it's a real it's like a breath of fresh air or something like that, you know? Right. And I and, and I really love like the eternity sure. stuff and this like here's this big here's this big world that no one can see that only Doctor Strange has access to, you know? No, it's fantastic, and also seeing like uh dr strange square off against uh mordo's like spiritual ninjas across the world yeah as he's searching for the secrets of eternity <laughs> exactly it's fun yeah yeah so um to you listeners i'll see you next week as we check out the ancient ones past with the evil kalu and then we'll dare to talk about the unspeakable umar uh, if you'd like to contest the pop contact the podcast i'd love to hear from you you can send me an email at stranger by the dozen all one word at gmail.com or interact with the show on facebook and instagram at stranger by the dozen on twitter on at, at stranger by the 12 that's stranger by the one two and on tumblr at stranger by the dozen dot during the week i'll post a bunch of images and quotes from the issues that that we covered this week so keep an eye out you can find stranger by the dozen on itunes stitcher and the, the google play store and any other pod catching app also if you want to contact drew and yell at him for his terrible opinions you can find him on twitter at neo of the dark uh, please like and review the show wherever you find it i'd really appreciate it until next time faithful reader i say the following moment with an audible sigh of relief which has been long in coming the spirit form of dr strange merges silently with his physical body as time itself seems to pause in wonder and as the tall proud figure again fastens the amulet at his throat as the brightly colored cloak levitates to its accorded place there can be no doubt that this is indeed dr strange this is indeed the master of the mystic arts